so tonight we're getting into meditation. There, there are two classes on meditation. First one tonight, next one Thursday. Uh, this is course number three, uh, Applied Meditation. And there's so much to bet. Uh, <laughs> um, basically, we're going we're gonna to go through, um, we're going to go all the way through what are different types of meditations, um, why do you meditate, what are the classic problems that arise in meditation, what are the antidotes to that problems, how do you fix them, and what are the resulting outcomes from meditating. So that's what we're going to get into tonight. And then in the next class, we'll get into the object of meditation and, and, and other subsequent material. So we're, working, we're primarily working from the prayer of Samantabhadra uh, and the commentary on that by Jason Kappa and the Lamrim Chinmo. Jason Kappa's dates, as everyone probably knows, are 1357 to 1419. You know, basically, meditation is a tool. Meditation is not the goal. Meditation is not... Meditation is not a spiritual path. Meditation is not um, a result in and of itself. So whenever you meditate, basically you're training your mind. You're refining your mind. You're making your mind more, more focused, more precise, clear, so that you can then apply it to something, so that you can then use it for something, so that the tool of your mind is more fit to do the work. Okay? That's the basic point of meditation. That's basically why you meditate. Um, the only spiritual value of meditation is if you focus your mind on a spiritual object during meditation. Otherwise, meditation isn't spiritual. <laughs> Just another way to spend your time. Um, you know, your mind is like a sponge. Your mind is influenced by what it's exposed to. Uh, and that's the value and benefit of meditation, largely. You are habituating your mind to a particular object ideally a spiritual object. And so your mind takes on the qualities of, of, the, of the object which you're exposing your mind to. So that's, that's the importance of uh, picking your object of meditation wisely. Uh, there, are, there are many, many, many different kinds of meditation. You know, you hear people talk about vipassana and samadhi and shamatha and shazam. Um, <laughs> You know, basically, uh, there are two broad categories of meditation. There is analytical meditation as one broad category of meditation where you're using your mind to analyze something, uh, to review something, to think about it. Okay? Uh, and the other broad category of meditation is single-pointed concentration where you are focusing your mind single-pointedly on an object without letting your mind waver from that object, whatever the object is. And there's lots of different possible objects. Okay? Um, Gompa is the most general type of meditation. I guess I'll write this. Um, basically, Gompa is just habituation. Doing the same thing over and over and over again with your mind. Okay? Getting into the habit. You know, you're basically burning in and fixing the object in your mind. You're just, you know, it's like, uh, it's like sports. You know, you, you develop muscle memory by doing repetitive motion in sports. Same thing with your mind. Your mind becomes imprinted through the habituation. That's gompa. Uh, samten. That's the fifth perfection, concentration. 
there are a lot of things, uh, a lot of different meditations in that. Uh, it includes uh, four levels of deep meditation, which if you do those four different meditations, will lead you to diff- four different results. Each meditation that you do has a different outcome associated with it. If you do meditation A, you get result B. If you do meditation X, you get result Y. Okay? Meditation is like that. If you do the four meditations, uh, which are uh, some of those included in Sumten, your results are rebirth in the four levels of the form realm, four different levels of the form realm, depending on which meditation you do. Um, so it's important to pick your meditation well and wisely because, you know, if you pick a meditation which is going to result in, you know, being uh, born in, in an angelic realm for a couple of million years and then going straight to the hell realm, then, you know, better pick a different meditation, right? Um, there, basically, there are three realms. Um, there, there's the desire realm, where we are, which includes humans, animals, uh, craving spirits. Um, it's form realm and formless realm. Uh, the formless realm is pure mind. Beings there don't have any bodies, even subtle bodies. Uh, in the form realm, there are many divisions of the form realm where beings have different types of bodies and different qualities associated with their body. So, basically, if you're in meditation and if you meditate a lot and seriously, um, and if you're focused on a virtuous object in your meditation, you are restraining yourself from doing non-virtue. You know, you can't be sitting in meditation thinking about a virtuous object and doing non-virtue simultaneously. So, just a natural byproduct of being in meditation, any kind of meditation, where you're focused on, on some kind of virtue, is that you, you attain a higher rebirth. So, is it a goal? No. Um, not if it's a form realm rebirth. You know, ultimately the point of meditation is, is to refine your mind to the point where your mind can travel to the first level of the form realm and in the first level of the form realm you have a direct perception of emptiness. So meditation is a tool to get your mind to the right platform to have a direct perception of emptiness. Okay? That's, that's ultimately what you need to use meditation for and why you should be doing it. Um, and then once you have the direct perception of emptiness you use that experience like we talked about last week, to, to behave differently in your daily life so that you can clean out all of your negative karmic seeds, do only virtue 24 hours a day nonstop, and as a result have only virtuous karmic seeds ripening, forcing you to perceive everything as bliss. Okay? Yeah, right now. Um, you know, if you are, question was, does that mean in this human body, does that mean your mind is going to the first, first level of the form realm while you're alive here meditating? Yeah, it means you get to be a very good meditator. You sit down, your mind is no longer connected to your six senses, and your mind is uh, in the first level of the form realm. Yeah. The question is, is the first level of the form realm the lowest or the highest level of the form realm? I'm not positive, but I believe it refers to the first lowest, but I'm not positive about that. Um, so then the next, uh, next kind of meditation. Ting and Zin. That means a one-pointed state of mind. Bugs have a one-pointed state of mind. You have a one-pointed state of mind. 
Tingen Zin simply means you have the ability to fix your mind on any object for a moment. On any one point, no matter what it is, for a moment. Okay? Sanskrit for that is samadhi. People say, he's in samadhi. So are you. <laughs> Not so impressive anymore, is it? <laughs> so, um, Tingen Zin simply means that you can focus your mind on an object, however briefly. You know, the nature of your mind is it's always focusing on a point. You know, it's going... You know, it's, it's hopping from point to point and shifting from point to point continuously. That's the nature of how you have perceptions. So that's Tingen Zin. The highest, um, highest form of Tingen Zin is called Shine. Sanskrit is Shamata. Shamatha is the most powerful form of meditation. Um, ultimately, it's the type of meditation which you should learn to do and focus on doing and spend your time on. Um, it's through shamatha meditation that you can become enlightened. You know, basically, attaining shamatha means that you can focus your mind on whatever object you focus on without your mind wavering for an instant for three or four hours. You won't have the slightest fluctuation, not even a little blip in your focus for three or four hours if you've attained full shamatha. And we'll talk about it later. Later, There are actually nine levels of attainment that you go through and then finally attain full shamatha realization. Um, after you have uh, the ability to attain shamatha, you focus that on emptiness. And that's the highest form of shamatha. The highest form of shamatha is focusing that ability to concentrate on emptiness. That's shamatha in its highest form. Okay? It's like pointing a powerful gun at something you know, it's like, uh, you know, you point a big gun at somebody, you generally get a pretty good result. Right? Same idea, you know? <laughs> In a virtuous way, mind you, right? <laughs> so, now we have to get into the Tibetan, I'm afraid. Or, you know, I'm glad. It's, it's a wonderful thing that you guys are learning Tibetan, right? <laughs> Not that I know it myself, mind you, okay? <laughs> what are we doing? So basically, there are five parts to meditation practice. We're going to, get, we're going to move into uh, learning about shamatha, uh, but we're going to talk about all meditation broadly first. There are, five, there are five parts to all meditation practice. This is the first part. First of the five parts. My Tibetan is very crude, so any of you who hear me mispronounce something, please feel free to correct me so that people learn how to do it properly. So this is uh, preparing for meditation, learning how to prepare for meditation. So um, you say Nikang, Chidang, Tendram. Nikang, Chidang, Tendram. So... Say it again. Go ahead. Say what you. I'm not following. Talking about this. Ooh, good. 
I really don't know my Tibetan. She's telling me that I'm ahead of myself and this Tibetan isn't the right thing to be going over right now. <laughs> you still need it, but just not yet. <laughs> you didn't waste writing it down. Um, I didn't focus clearly. Um, there is no Tibetan associated with the first part of meditation. <laughs> so, um, it's preparation, the six preliminaries. Okay? First step is, is how to prepare for meditation. How to, which are the six preliminaries. There are six preliminaries which you do to prepare for meditation. There are five parts to a meditation practice. The first of the five parts is the six preliminaries, which you can also call preparing to begin. Yeah, this is, this is, this is uh, the first of the six preliminaries, which we're going to get into in a few minutes. Uh, the second, the second uh, division or part of meditation practice uh, is collecting six conditions of the physical environment. We're going to go into these in detail later. I'm just giving you an overview now. The third of the five parts of every meditation. All right, now don't tell me later to go faster, okay? <laughs> uh, the, second, the second of the five is the physical environment. There are six conditions of the physical environment that you need to gather together. The third of the five parts of meditation practice is assuming the correct posture. The fourth of the five Parts of all meditation are engaging in the mental processes. Engaging in the mental process. And the fifth and last of the five parts of all meditation practices are selecting an object of meditation or the object of meditation. So that's the overview of all meditation. All meditation has those five parts. Before you do any kind of meditation, you do the six preliminaries. Okay? To do any kind of meditation, you pay attention to your environment and make sure you've got a good environment. To do any kind of meditation, you get in the right posture. To do any kind of meditation, you engage in some kind of mental process and select some kind of object. Okay? Like that. Um, so now this is the first of the six preliminaries. Which Vilma... Pulled me back from the brink on. So, Nekong is place. Chi is clean. Dong is and. Ten is altar. Drum is arrange. 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 Tibetan, you read backwards. Arrange an altar and clean the place. Set up a sacred space. Wherever you are, whatever kind of space you have, try to set some place aside, which is a sacred space, even if it's a little corner. So it's a special feeling place that you go to whenever you meditate, separate from everywhere else. The next of the six preliminaries. Chupa. Offerings. 
Say chupa. Chupa. This, this refers to physically setting out offerings. Uh, we have them on the altar, water bowls. Uh, there are seven or eight. Some people use, use different amounts. Um, basically, these are offerings to the senses. They represent uh, offerings to each of the six senses. Um, normally, when you set them out, you set them out from left to right. And when you take them down, you take them down from right to left. When you empty the water bowls, and you place them face down on the altar, you think, it's a good time to die. This is empty. The vessel is empty. I'm ready to die now. Um, like that. Um, in terms of what the different offerings are, I won't go into it. There, it's been covered in a lot of other places. Um, basically, you're making offerings to the holy beings. Uh, the idea being that this is going to please all of their senses. Okay? Just simply stated. Um, the next preliminary, Kyamdro Semke. Please say Kyamdro. Semke. Kyamdro Semke. Going for refuge. Cultivating Bodhicitta. Kyamdro is going for refuge. Semke is Bodhicitta. Means to develop the mind. Now, at this point, this at this point in the preliminaries, this is implying that you're already sitting down. Okay, that you've already taken the posture. It's implied in here. So, going for just briefly, going for refuge. If you Going for refuge does not mean repeating the words. If you repeat the words of going for refuge and generating bodhicitta, you didn't do it. Sorry. Um, to go for refuge, you have to have two states of mind. You have to have two thoughts in your mind. Uh, one is you have to have some fear of suffering. Uh, you have to have some sense that you know suffering is unpleasant and you're susceptible to it and you don't want it. And you have to have some faith or some belief that whatever you're going to refuge to will protect you from that suffering. Okay? If you don't have those two things in your mind, you're not going for refuge. Okay? No matter what you say. Um, say it's Sokshin. Seldeb. Sokshin. Seldeb. Sok means assembly. Sok means assembly. Shing means place. Seldev means to beseech. 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 First switch. Sok is assembly. Shing is place. The assembly of the place. Beseech the assembly of the place, meaning visualize the merit field. Visualize the merit field. The what? <laughs> In plain English, you should visualize 
a holy object in front of you, <laughs> preferably a being. <laughs> um, basically, you want to you want to visualize or call forth in front of you uh, whomever you're going for refuge to. You know, you just cultivate you're just cultivating a state of refuge in your mind a moment ago, and so you have to go to refuge to someone, and you're going to visualize that someone in front of you at this point, whether it's your root lama lineage lamas you should start simple it should be very clear it shouldn't be some vague fuzzy thing that you're visualizing if you don't have a, a, a great capacity for visualization start with one one lama start with seeing the silhouette or their outline and once you have a very crisp clear outline in shape then add a color start to add colors and then start to add details okay so and if you if you can visualize well then you want to visualize the full assembly the full refuge assembly there are many different ways to do it uh, in this case, generally, you can, you, sh- you, you can or should visualize the lamas, lamas of the two great lineages, the lamas of the, of the compassion lineage and the lamas of the wisdom lineage. Okay? Um, you should visualize them without physical defects, i.e. glasses, being old, etc. You should visualize them in an ideal form, whatever lama you're visualizing, uh, being young, vibrant, youthful, radiant, etc. Like that. Soksak. Soksak. Dripjang. Dripjang. Soksak, Dripjang. Sok is together. Okay, I will go slower, but you guys just chill at the end of the evening, okay? <laughs> we have ten pages of Tibetan tonight. That's what I said. <laughs> so Tsok is together. Tsak is to collect. Drip is obstacle. And Jang is to purify. So, I mean, it's purify obstacles and collect the gathering, but, you know, it's a little obtuse, right? Um, basically, it means collect good energy and purify obstacles. And there are seven elements which, which fall within this point, which we'll cover later. Sometimes called the seven ingredients. Basically, uh, well, let me give you the seventh, the, I'm sorry, the sixth preliminary, and then we'll go back and recap. So this is the final preliminary slundep. Oops. Yeah. Sure. Please say Sundep. Sundep. So this means to beseech, uh, to request the Lama which you are visualizing or Lamas which you are visualizing to bless you. What does it mean to bless you? It means to ask for a jinlap. If you want more Tibetan, jinlap. Jinlap is a blessing. Jinlap is a special term. It means you ask to have your spiritual capacity increased. You ask to have your ability to progress through all of the paths increased. You know, generally you should ask for a specific realization. Please bless me to see emptiness directly. 
Or you can ask for everything. You know, please bless me to have you know excellent progress in all the paths from beginning to end. I mean, but you know, don't just say please bless me. Okay, <laughs> a little too vague. <laughs> um, the idea with a blessing is is that the faith and the undertaking of asking to increase your virtue and your spiritual capacity is the thing which creates the karmic seed to have the result. The asking is the creation of the karmic seed which, which, which turns into the result. So uh, asking for blessings is extremely important. Jason Kappa spent half of his spiritual career doing nothing except asking for blessings. That's all he did for half his spiritual career. He's asking for blessings. Jin And then, so at this point, after the sixth preliminary, sixth preliminary, then you, you visualize the Lama in which you just asked for blessing to, you visualize them coming above your crown, becoming smaller, absorbing into your crown and into your heart and merging uh, into your heart and feeling that their mind is mixed inseparably with your mind, feeling a sense of great happiness, uh, feel that you've... Uh, you in some way have gained some of their realizations and understandings and, and mental, mental abilities and mental faculties. So to recap, we've got um, the six preliminaries, setting up an altar, setting out offerings, going for refuge, generating bodhicitta after you've assumed the correct posture, which is implied, mm, uh, visualizing the merit field, mm, collecting good energy and cleaning out negative energy from your mind through the seven steps which we have not yet covered and then requesting blessings from your Lama. Um, so to step back now and, and just say a few words about this whole process of doing preliminaries, you cannot succeed in your meditation practice if you don't set your mind up properly. You know, it's like playing basketball or whatever. You know, if you don't know how to do a layup, you can't get a basket. Um, you, have to, you have to prepare to succeed in the practice. And it's not enough to just sit down and start meditating. If you don't do the preliminaries, you cannot succeed in an advanced meditative practice. You have to clean out the negativities from your mind and you have to cultivate and increase the positive potential of your mind to be able to succeed in advanced meditation practice. Okay? And the six preliminaries and the seven ingredients, which we haven't gotten into, are the things which set that up for you. So don't skip it. You know? It's important. Um, to succeed in meditation, you have to get your mind to a place where it's not distracted, where you don't have a lot of mental afflictions going on. If you've got a lot of mental afflictions going on, forget it. How can you concentrate? You know, you're thinking about sex, you're thinking about the person you hate, you know, you're thinking about all the people who pissed you off, you know, etc., etc., etc. So you've got to get rid of all those mental afflictions or you won't be able to hold your mind steadily on whatever your object of concentration is, okay? So, and this is, this is part of what this, the six preliminaries contribute to, is, is, is get, shifting your mind into that space. You've got to shift your mind out of the normal work work-a-day world, busy world space, and you have to shift it to a neutral space and shift it into a place where you start to clean out obstacles and build up positive potential. Okay, and so this is the six preliminaries and the seven ingredients. So, so the seven ingredients, right? So the seven ingredients are the things which further build positive potential within your mind and further clean out negativities from your mind. Okay? So we'll go into the seven ingredients. Now remember, these seven ingredients are part of... Preliminary number five, gathering goodness and purifying obstacles. Right? This soksak gripjong. There's a subset of that. So, again, these seven these seven uh, 
seven ingredients, these seven things, um, are designed to, to gather positive potential, to put your mind into a place where it has the potential to meditate well, to succeed in your, in your spiritual practice. Okay? Please say chukso. Chukso. Prostration means prostration. You're basically bowing down to holy beings. You can do it in your mind. Visualize yourself emanating countless bodies, filling all of space and all those emanations of yourself bowing down simultaneously to the holy beings which you're being or beings which you're visualizing. To prostrate, basically, you touch the palms of your hands to your crown, to your mouth, to your heart. Um, and basically, you're thinking, may I develop the, the body, speech, and mind of a Buddha as you do that. Okay? And you do three prostrations normally. And normally, the reason why you... Well, the reason why you do three prostrations is, is that you're bowing down to, um, to those beings who have become fully liberated through emptiness, i.e. the Buddhas. You're bowing down to those teachings on emptiness, i.e. the Dharma. And you're bowing down to those beings who have seen emptiness and are practicing the path, i.e. the Sangha. Okay? So when you do three prostrations, it's to those three groups or to those three principles or beings, groups of beings. Uh, and that's why you do the hand, the hand gestures. You know, if you're just bowing down and not thinking, you know, you're pretty much just doing physical exercise. Um, you, know, you could jog around the block. Um, it's more important to be thinking. That all, with all of this stuff, you know, you've got to be thinking. The whole point of spiritual practice is to change your mind. Okay? Is to have a different mind than you have. And just going through the motions won't do that. Alrighty? Uh, second is chupa. Offerings. We mentioned offerings previously as one of the preliminaries. And that's where you set the offerings out on the altar. In this case, you're actually visualizing yourself making the offerings to your merit, your, to your llama that you visualize to your merit field. Okay? Emanate offering beings who carry the offerings to your lama which the lama partakes of or lamas partake of and enjoy shakpa please say shakpa shakpa and we skip some please say chupa chupa please say chakso chakso gotta plant those seeds right so, uh, shakpa means opening yourself up. Uh, to meditate well or successfully, you have to open yourself up. You have to confess. You have to open your conscience. Okay? Very important. You cannot succeed in advanced meditative practice if you do not do this. What does it mean? It means you have to get rid of the negativities which are hanging around in your mind you have to think about what did I do that was non-virtuous and that was negative and then you have to purify that you have to do the four forces you know confessing includes the four forces um, which I'm not going to go into we don't have time but when you confess you need to think of something you need to think of something or various things specifically which you did that day or recently which you regret doing which were non-virtuous and purify them get them off your conscience right clean, this, clean your mind of those things and you know saying I did those things and I purify isn't enough. You need to do the four forces. Just to say, I did that and I confess. Okay, moving on. Now, you know, you have to, you have, to have all the elements of the four forces, four forces present. Meaning, you have to 
have regret. You have to resolve you're not going to do it again. Oh no. What's the third part? Oh, I've skipped the first part. Sorry. You have to, you have to recall uh, your refuge in Bodhicitta. You have to recall that you, know, you didn't want to hurt people. You meant to help people. And oops, kind of screwed up there. Hurt those people. And then regret it. And then resolve not to do it. And then do some kind of antidote. You know, Vajrasattva visualization. Or, there are many different antidotes you could do. Okay? So that's confessing. You've got to remove those negativities. Of the seven ingredients, this is the only one which is targeted at removing negativities. All of the other seven ingredients are oriented towards gathering goodness, increasing your positive potential. Please say, Yirangwa. Yirangwa. This is rejoicing. To rejoice. Also very important. You rejoice in your own good deeds. You think, what did I do today that was helpful or virtuous? You feel glad about it. You feel, oh, you know, I feel good. I feel good that I did that. I feel, feel glad that I helped those people. You know, feel upbeat about it. It's extremely important to do. Doing that increases your virtue exponentially. Rejoicing in the good deeds that you've done exponentially increases your accumulation of virtue and your positive potential. Strengthens massively your ability to do good in the future. Okay? Please say Chunkor, Korwar, Kul, Chunkor, Korwar, Kul. Guys, do the speed Tibetan. Chun means uh, Dharma, Kor means wheel, Korwar means turn, and Kul means to urge. You urge to turn the wheel of Dharma. You request teachings from the being which you are visualizing or beings which you are visualizing. You ask them to teach you. This again creates the karmic cause to have teachings. If you're not getting a lot of Dharma teachings, do this. <laughs> Please say Sundep. Sundep. This means to beseech. You beseech the being which you're visualizing or the beings which you're visualizing to stick around. To not leave. To not move away. To not, to not ignore you. To not die. Also, the karmic cause of the result. Please say Noah. Noah means to dedicate dedicate so all of this is part of what you do prior to doing a real, the actual meditation, okay? So you've got the six preliminaries and within preliminary number five you have these seven, seven components of gathering goodness and purifying negativity of which six gather goodness and one purifies negativity, right? 
Great. Moving on. So, the next uh, next part of the five parts of meditation is uh, the environment. You know, after you have uh, done the preliminaries, which we just finished, uh, the next thing you need to do is make sure you've got the right environment set up. You know, if you if you're in a lousy place, forget it. You know, you're not going to have much luck meditating. Uh, you know, I know people who they go to India thinking, I want to go to India. It's a holy place to meditate. You know, and they got like you know dogs barking 24 hours a day. You know, and and loudspeakers blaring the prayers at 5 a.m. and you know, and Ellie Ellie can tell you. <laughs> you know, it's you need an environment which is uh, conducive. So the first part, and well, because this is Tibetan Buddhism, there are parts. There are six conditions of the environment. This is of the five major parts of a meditation practice. This is part two which is the environment. Now, within the environment, there are six elements which need to be present to have a good meditation environment. This is the first. Please say, Tumpe Yul. Tumpe Yul. Tumpe is conducive. Yul is place. Place. A conducive place. Not your apartment on 6th Avenue <laughs> or any other avenue in Manhattan. right? So what does it mean, a conducive place? A conducive place basically means you don't want to be in an environment which is counterproductive to concentrating. Everything that you do in meditation should be supportive of having your mind focus and not be distracted. So as we look at all of this stuff, uh, you're going to see it's just stuff common sense stuff which says you know don't go anywhere which is going to really keep your attention off of meditating you know don't go to a noisy place you know don't go to a place where you're going to get sick uh, don't go to a place where you're cold you know make sure you've got all of the conditions of the environment make sure you've got enough heat make sure it's safe and you don't have to worry about getting robbed you know make sure that you've got uh, air conditioning if it's hot you know make sure you, there's not tuberculosis or you know or whooping cough you know in India wherever you're going um Make sure it's isolated. Uh, noise is the worst, worst, worst thing about the environment. It's very, very hard to meditate if you've got noise. The absolute worst part of the uh, environment. Uh, and you want to also make sure you have good support people. You know, if you're doing a long retreat particularly, you need people to support you in the retreat, to go get you the things you need, you know, to cook your food, to prepare your food, etc., etc. So you don't want to have people who are not um, sort of in the same milieu, people who, who don't believe in what you're doing or who haven't meditated themselves or don't really understand what they're supposed to be doing or just think, like, all right, I'll try to fit you in and help you out if I get time, but you're really an inconvenience, you know? You want to avoid that. <laughs> Second of the conditions of the environment. Oops, I'm sorry. Is that right? Wait a minute, I'm going to confuse myself. <laughs> there are... Yeah.
Okay, so please say Tumpe. Whoops, we did that one. Please say Dupa. Move that up. <laughs> Chungwa. <laughs> Dupa Chungwa. Mm, uh, basically, to live simply. Dupa means want. Want. Chungwa means few. It's an attitude. Have you want. feel that you really don't want a lot anymore. What I really want to do is meditate. I don't need a lot of Oreo cookies. I don't need the TV shows that I like. I don't need the movies. I don't need my friends around. I don't need much anything. All I really want to do is meditate. Okay? That's Dupa Chua. Live simply. Don't need much. Okay? Mm, The next, which is somewhat related, is... Chok Shepa, please say Chok. Shepa. Chok Shepa. Chok is satisfaction. Shepa is know it. No satisfaction. You know the song, I can't get no satisfaction? This ain't it. <laughs> this is the opposite. Okay? When you're in meditation, and your support person forgets to bring you lunch, that's okay. <laughs> Be satisfied with what you get. That's what this is. All right? Particularly if you're in a longer retreat. You know, things go wrong. You know, you don't have what you want. You know, you think, man, the portions are too small. You know? This isn't the kind of food I like. You know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> I think a lot of stuff. So... These two are very important. These last two are very important. When you go, once you go into retreat, forget about having any other goal or any other thing which is important to you other than meditating. You know, when you go into a serious retreat, any kind of, do any kind of serious meditation, you know, it's important to just be in the mode where you're feeling like, you know what, I really don't care what happens. I don't care what comes up. I don't care what problems arise. I just want to meditate, you know? It doesn't matter if the other stuff doesn't work out because, you know, I'm in the place and I can sit here and meditate and I don't care about the rest of it, you know? I don't care if there's no electricity, you know? And I don't care if it's too hot and I don't care if, you know, they forgot to bring me breakfast this morning, you know? I'll, you know, I'll, I'll survive, you know? Big no, you know, I'll, I'll handle it like that, you know? So, that's those two. Uh, next, Transparency. Are you guys done with Chokshepa? Please say Jamang. Pang. Jamang Pang. Ja is activity. Mang is a lot. And Pang is ping pong. No. <laughs> Give up, it's Pang. <laughs> Just checking. See if you're paying attention. (laughs) So, give up a lot of activity is the next one. Don't be a busybody. Don't find it important to clean your cabin every day. (laughs) Don't find it necessary to read books and magazines. Don't find it necessary to do anything. Give up activity. 
do the minimum amount necessary so that nothing is distracting you from meditating. Please say it's Sutram Dakpa. Sutram Dakpa. Ethical way of life. Sutram is ethics, morality. Dakpa is pure. Who cares if you're ethical? What does it have to do with meditating? You know, they're not around. I left them behind after I stabbed them in the back. You know? (laughs) Afraid not. It's the nature of karmic imprints. You carry them with you in your mind. Once you've done a non-virtue, it's inescapable. And if you have negativity in your mind, the very nature of that negative energy prevents you from being able to focus your mind. Negative energies in your mind are contraproductive to focusing your mind, calming your mind, and refining your mind. Okay? So, it's extremely important that you have uh, very refined ethical living prior to doing retreat and in meditating in general to be successful meditating in general especially if you're going to go do a long retreat or a, mo- a week, a month or a heavy retreat you know, prior to the retreat you want to avoid doing any non-virtue whatsoever and in fact you should go way out of your way to try to do as much virtue as possible prior to doing a retreat okay? otherwise it'll, it will interfere with your retreat and the success of your retreat you know, you, particularly when lamas you know, when, when lamas or great meditators go off to try to meditate on emptiness they'll spend a lot, a lot, a lot of time doing immense amounts of virtue I mean, we could think of someone we know, Jesse Michael, perhaps, <laughs> you know, who's going to go and do a three-year retreat. Well, what he's, what, think about it. What has he spent the last seven years doing? The highest form of giving possible, the highest form of virtuous karma possible, teaching Dharma. You know? So, you know, in essence, you know, his preliminaries to his three-year retreat have been seven years of virtue. You know? I mean, with the hopes that, you know, that will provide the basis you know, to have a successful practice, a successful meditation practice. Same principle. I mean, it's this principle uh, in, in application like that. You can't meditate if you've got uh, a bad, you know, a, a, a dirty conscience, dirty mind. And so the last point, Namtok, please say Namtok. Pang? Namtok Pang? Namtok are sense objects. Pang is to give up. Give up sense objects. What does that mean? Um, basically, as you become a more advanced meditator, you, you, your goal is to withdraw from your six senses. To actually no longer engage the world through your six senses. Your mind actually withdraws from your sense consciousnesses. So, that's what this is referring to. You have to get out of the mode of relating to the world sensuously. I love the feeling of that. I love the taste of that. I love the smell of that. I would really like to hear that. You know, all of your, all of your senses, five senses. You know, if you're going to be successful in retreat, you can't be thinking about your partner all day long and what it would be like to be with them. Um, you know, it's counterproductive. 
So that's what this is referring to. Uh, ultimately, as your, as your meditation becomes more subtle, you withdraw from sensory desire objects more and more. And in fact, uh, to, to do higher levels of meditation, uh, you actually don't even register sense objects anymore. You know, when you get to certain levels of the form realm, there aren't sensory... Uh, those senses aren't there, I guess you could say. Say it that way. Alrighty. So, that, now that's the, uh, those are the six conditions that you have to gather together for the meditation. Okay? So now you've got the preliminaries. You've got these conditions conducive to meditating. Now what? And remember, there's six of these and seven of those and six of the other thing that we've done so far. Okay? <laughs> All right. <laughs> these don't mix them up. Yeah, and if you know, you know, if you're in the Tibetan track, you got to know all this for uh, next time. <laughs> well, next, you know, you know what I mean. So, the next, uh, the next part of the five parts of all meditation is the posture, assuming the position. Yeah, Elizabeth. I can't hear you. Kyung Tru. T R U. NG our resident Tibetan expert has said that this should be NG well done so now we get into the eight point posture of Vairochana This is the first point of the eight-point posture of Vairochana. Did I translate it? Not yet. Please say Kangpa. Kyungtrum. Kangpa Kyungtrum. That was easy. Right? <laughs> say it three times fast. <laughs> So this is uh, your legs. Uh, Kangpa means your limbs, your legs. Kyungtrum means cross them, cross your legs. Uh, you should, uh, if you're capable, you should sit in full lotus posture. Left leg goes up first, then the right leg. What if you're not able to sit in a full lotus posture? Sorry, you know, can't meditate. Uh, <laughs> No, you know, this is, a lot of people hurt themselves because of that attitude. You know, a lot of people have this attitude of, you know, I have to make myself sit in the full lotus posture. And if I can't sit in the full lotus posture, I'm a failure as a meditator. Again, as I said before, the point of all of this stuff is to set it up so that nothing distracts your mind from focusing. If sitting in full lotus distracts your mind from focusing, don't do it. Okay? Sit in a way which will not hurt you so that, you're, so that you don't think about the pain in your knees as opposed to whatever you're supposed to focus on. All right? If you can't sit in full lotus, sit in half lotus. Put one leg up. If you can't sit in half lotus, sit with both legs on the floor, one in front of the other. If you can't sit comfortably that way, find a position that works for you which is comfortable. If you can't sit on the floor at all, sit in a chair. Okay? The goal is to be able to sit in full lotus posture. You accomplish nothing by blowing out your knees, forcing yourselves to try to do that. Okay? 
you know, your needs have a certain amount of give and you can force them a certain amount. After a little while, you know, they'll just hurt for a long time. Um, if you want to be able to sit in full lotus, you need to open your hips up. Flexibility in the hips is what enables you to sit in full lotus. Yoga is great for that. Ms. Settlemeyer does a yoga class prior to this class to open up people's hips so that they can sit in full lotus if you should be interested. Um, so the next point, next of the eight points of sitting posture, second point. Please say mik mie mitzum. Mik mie mitzum. Mik is eyes. Mi is negative. Don't. Nye is open. Again, mi is negative. Don't. And zoom is close. Don't close them. Don't open them. Then what are you supposed to do? <laughs> supposed to keep them very slightly open, partially open. If you open your eyes all the way, you focus on stuff. If you close your eyes all the way, you get sleepy. Okay? The idea, if you keep your eyes in, you could say, well, I have an easier time to meditate when my eyes are all the way closed. If you meditate for longer periods of time, you just go to sleep. Okay? It's great. I mean, you can meditate with your eyes closed for short periods, but uh, for longer periods, it doesn't work. You just introduce mental mental dullness already. Um... It's hard to train yourself at first to have your eyes slightly open so that they allow a little bit of light in but not enough to focus on anything. But once you've you know, established the habit, it works. It's, it's just an automatic thing and it's not a problem. Um, you don't want to have your eyes looking straight out. Your eyes should be slightly down, about a 45 degree angle, focused about six inches in front of you, just on a point in space about six inches in front of you. You don't want any visual distractions in your field of vision. You know, you don't want to have this like psychedelic print on your wall right in front of you. You know, like the mandala of, you know, Kalachakra right there, you know, (laughs) in front of you while you're trying to meditate. It's a visual distraction. You're supposed to withdraw from your visual consciousness ultimately and be in a purely mental space. Okay. So try to set your meditation space up so that you have a clear field in front of you. Please say Ludron. Ludron. Lu is body. Drong is straight. Sit up straight. Why? It's much more comfortable to lean against the wall. (laughs) I like it. (laughs) Um, You know, you have to make a distinction here between long-term meditation and short-term meditation, i.e., like for an hour or two or three on your cushion. If you're sitting for an hour or two or three on your cushion, you shouldn't lean against anything, you know? You have to train yourself. You have to train the muscles in your back so that they become, the right muscles become strong so that you can sit upright, unsupported, for a couple hours. If you're going to meditate for a 14-hour day, you're not going to be able to do it without leaning against something once in a while, okay? Important distinction to make. You'll kill yourself if you go into you know, a long-term retreat thinking I, got, I, can't, I can't slouch or I can't lean against the wall for 14 hours starting day one okay not practical um, it's very important that your spine is straight it has to do with your subtle spiritual body um, if you're sitting in meditation and you notice that you're slouched over um, don't bolt up 
correct, and with all these things, correct yourself slowly so that you don't disrupt your meditation. You know, your mind is kind of being the watchman and checking what's going wrong, what's varying from what it should be doing. And when you catch yourself, slowly correct yourself so that you don't jerk yourself out of meditation by shifting your physical posture. Okay? Please say, Chakpa Nyam. Chakpa Nyam. Chakpa is shoulder. Nyam is level. Make sure your shoulders are level. You don't want to be leaning to the right or to the left. You know, this is a great... I don't remember who it was. Perhaps Milarepa or somebody like that. Um, you know, he, he, um, he said, my meditation posture... The results and the, the attainments from my meditation posture are superior to all the meditation that all these other people are doing. Just by assuming my meditation posture, I accomplish more than all these other supposedly great meditators accomplish. There's a lot to be said for meditating, sitting in the correct posture. Are we done with Trakpa Nyam? We. So our resident Tibetan expert was saying, Mitu should be O. Mito. So please say Go Mito Mima. Go Mito Mima. Go is head. Mi is negative, not. To is high. Again, me is not. And ma is low. Not low, not high, with your head. You don't want to tilt your head down. You don't want to tilt your head up. Head should be straight ahead. Looking should be pointing straight ahead. Okay? If your head's down, you introduce dullness. If your head's up, you introduce agitation. Please say Sochu Ranglup Sochu Ranglup So is T Chu is lips Ranglup Natural position Your teeth and lips should be in their natural position well, how are they going to be anywhere else, right? <laughs> it means leave your dentures in when you meditate. No. It means you shouldn't clench your jaw. Your teeth, you shouldn't make sure you keep your teeth together like this at, no co- at all costs, you know? And you shouldn't have your lips like... Um, if you have your mouth open, your mouth will dry out when you meditate, which will be a problem to your concentration. Uh, you should just be natural, relaxed. Lips gently touching, jaw relaxed, teeth slightly apart.
Dice Che Ya soy Ranglu Che ya soy Ranglu Che es Tong Ya soy es Touching your teeth Back of your palate Top of your palate Back of Let me say it. The back of your front teeth The top of your palate And here And uh, Rangluk is again The natural position So your tongue Should just be in a natural position Gently touching Or in the vicinity Of your upper palate Behind your front teeth Right So those are the seven points. Sometimes it's called the seven-point posture of Vairochana. Sometimes it's called the eight-point posture of Vairochana. Um, what's the eighth point? Glad you asked. <laughs> what a setup, right? <laughs> Please say, Uk Jungnuk. Uk Jungnuk. Uk is breath. Jungnuk is to make quiet. Make your breath quiet. Meaning, breathe quietly. Breathing. This is the eighth point. Sometimes it's included in the posture, in the seven-point posture. If, they, if it's not included, it's called the seven-point posture. If it is included, it's called the eight-point posture of Vairochana. So, as far as the breathing goes, you should breathe through your nose. Gently, never force your breath when you're meditating. Yeah. Varuchana? Yeah. Who is Varuchana? He's a projection of your karma. <laughs> Ooh, sorry. Varuchana is the Buddha of uh, emanation bodies, among many emanation bodies, if I remember correctly. Why did they name it the eight-point posture of Vairochana? I don't know. Maybe it's po- you know it's possible that this being called Vairochana first uh, enumerated these points, but I I can't say that. So in any in any case, as far as the breathing goes, uh, you're breathing through the nose, mouth is closed, breathing gently, relaxed, not forcing it. You you start with exhalation. You count the exhalation as one. You count the inhalation as two, and generally uh, you you uh, count to ten. If you lose track of your count, you start over. That shifts your mind into neutral. Start with the exhalation. Exhalation is one. You know, some people just do breathing meditation and they say focusing on your breath is the whole point of meditation. That's a fine object of meditation. Not so. Breathing meditation shifts the mind into a neutral space. If your goal is to only have your mind in a neutral space, then you have an appropriate object. Okay, so we're rolling. So now we get into the um, actual, we start to get into the actual processes of meditation. We've covered the preliminaries you have to do prior to meditating, which is the first of the five parts of all meditation. The second of the five parts of all meditation are gathering the conditions of the environment. The third of the five parts of every meditation is assuming the posture, which we just finished. 
And so now we start the fourth of the five parts of every meditation, which are the mental processes. Okay? The hands? Oh, question was, what do you do with your hands? Um, it's not included in the eight-point posture, but you should know. Um, you sit, when you sit, you place your left palm down first with your right palm on top of your left, your thumbs gently touching. So it's kind of the middle knuckles of your two fingers are lined up, about like that. Shouldn't be any pressure on your thumbs. Your elbows, your, your uh, inner arms and your elbows should not be against your sides. They should be out. When you sit and meditate, you build up heat. And so having your elbows slightly out allows air to circulate so that you don't get too hot. Um, what else? Um, bum, bum, bum. Your, your cushion also is not included in here in, your, in the seat that you choose, but it's also an important point. Um, the back of your cushion should be higher than the front. Uh, that helps to straighten your spine. It's very hard. If you just sit on the floor, it's very hard to sit with a straight spine. Um, so sitting with the back of your cushion higher incorporates a little bit uh, of a straight spine. helps with that. Also, it's important to know that whatever position you get used to, your body adapts to that. You know, um, If you pick a particular meditation cushion and you sit in that same posture every day or regularly, the muscles of your back and the muscles of your body will adjust so that you can sit straight with that cushion in that posture. Okay? If you change your cushions, you know, maybe you had a cushion which was this high and now you change to a cushion which is this high. If you change your cushions, it uses different muscles and you'll, you know, you're essentially starting over. You know, you can feel that now all of a sudden you can't sit as comfortably. You know, you're using different muscles and certain muscles hurt which didn't hurt before like that. So the, the habituation and, and, and the setting it up properly and sticking with it is extremely important. Okay? Why does your left hand go down first? Uh, the eight-point posture of Vairochana relates to your subtle energetic, your subtle body, your subtle spiritual body, um, which is uh, kind of coming from the secret teachings of Buddhism. So we can't really go into it in too much detail, if any. Um, but generally, you could say, and this is what um, this is what the great meditator, whose name escapes me, was referring to. You know, he, <laughs> he was essentially saying, look, just by sitting properly. You know, I'm aligning my subtle spiritual my subtle spiritual body so that it is supportive of my meditative practice and the and the, and the and the development of my mind and the focus of my mind. If you're not sitting properly, you are mm, inhibiting your subtle spiritual body, which inhibits your meditative um, success. So it's like that. So with in the advanced teachings of Buddhism, all of your fingers, all of your limbs, all of your everything. Have, are associated with the subtle, your subtle spiritual body. And so everything has a very specific purpose and a very specific placement for that reason. And that's kind of all we can go into. Um, so now we start to get into the mental processes. From time uncounted until now, everyone who has tried to meditate has had problems. <laughs> Surprise, right? <laughs> um, and because they were good Tibetan Buddhist meditators, they enumerated them and itemized them. Okay? There are five. <laughs> there are five standard obstacles which arise for every meditator when they try to meditate. Okay? And this is the first. Lelo. The first problem of meditation. Laying low. Also translated as laziness. Basically, 
not feeling like it. You get up in the morning and you say, you know what, I'm running kind of late. I'd really rather eat breakfast. And, you know, it's really kind of an inconvenience and, and I just don't feel like the extra work today. That's number one. <laughs> Seem familiar? <laughs> so, you know, if you can't overcome the first obstacle, you know. <laughs> You're in deep doo-doo, you know, if you can't get past that one, all right? Uh, second obstacle. Well, the other thing to say, this isn't an obstacle, the other thing to say is, is that each of the obstacles has antidotes. And the antidotes are also itemized. There are four corrections to this problem. Okay? So this is the first of the four. There are four. It's actually, there's one ultimate antidote and there are four steps. Okay? So there are four parts to the antidote to laziness. This is the first part of the antidote to laziness. Depa. Please say depa. 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 Means faith. Faith in what? You have faith in meditation and the results of meditation. You have some understanding of what meditation will bring to you. You have some understanding of what the, med- the results of meditation are. And you have some faith from your other studies that if you meditate, you will see those results. Like what? Um, they enumerate many, many different things, some of which are, are to inspire those who want sensational results, like if you meditate, you'll be able to read people's minds. <laughs> and you know, then there are the other, other things that they enumerate for inspiration, like, you know, all of the good qualities of your character are the result of practicing the path, and you must meditate to practice the path. All of the good qualities of Buddhism result from meditating. If you want to change your character, if you want to develop your character, it can only come about through meditating. Okay? Like that. Um, and you can only move from path to path during deep meditation. The five paths, renunciation, path of preparation, path of accumulation, path of seeing, path of no more learning. I'm sorry, path of habituation, path of no more learning. Those five paths, you can only move from one path to the next in meditation, in deep meditation. Or, if that's not inspiring enough, you can learn to fly. (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) the next antidote... (laughs) is Dumpa. Please say Dumpa. It means you want it. You want what we just talked about. You have faith in what will come to you and now you want you want those things. Please say Dumpa. Dumpa. You want to be a good meditator. You want to attain Shamatha because you know what it means. You know that by, by attaining shamatha, you can have a direct perception of emptiness. You know all the good things that can come to you. You know that as a result of seeing shamatha and having a direct... Pers- you know as a result of attaining shamatha and, and seeing emptiness that you can eliminate all of your suffering forever. 
You want that. Okay? Based on wanting that, you make efforts. Sundrup. I'm sorry, Sundrup. You say Sundrup. Sundrup. It means to make effort. You make the necessary effort to be a good meditator. Because of the above point. Because you want the result. That means when you're tired and you get home late and you really don't feel like meditating, you make effort. (laughs) That's what that's referring to. You know, when it comes time to choose, you choose to meditate. You say, Xinjiang. Xinjiang. This is the real antidote. It means practiced ease. Xin is practiced. Practiced. Jiang is ease. Practiced ease. Practiced ease. What does it mean? Uh, It's a very important point, actually. It basically means that you meditated enough that it's now easy and it feels good and you like it. It means that as a result of making efforts over and over again, meditating every day regularly, your body has become fit to do the work. Your body is relaxed and comfortable and can easily sit for a couple of hours in meditation without any problem. Your mind is fit to do the work. Your mind is not distracted. Your mind does not get drawn off to sensory distractions and to random thoughts. Your mind is fit to do the work and you can focus it for several hours on the object of your meditation without much problem. So Xinjiang means you reach a state where you simply like meditating. It's not hard and it feels good. Why wouldn't you do it? You know, you, Whenever you get up from meditation, you feel like, man, that was great. That was really good. I like that. That's the antidote. This is the actual antidote to laziness. The others lead to this and support this. Okay. So, the next problem that comes up, uh, the next of the five problems of meditation is that you lose the object. No Tibetan for this one. Get left out. (laughs) Um, You know, you're sitting there, you have your object of meditation, you know, you've got your eyes mostly closed, you're trying to visualize it, and all of a sudden, you're thinking about what you got to do at work this morning. What was a visualization of your root lama is gone and is now a visualization of your desk. Okay? <laughs> What's the antidote? Simply remembering. You simply remember your original object. You call your original object back and focus on it again. Uh, there's no Tibetan for this. Not that I know. I'm sure there is, but you know, I don't speak Tibetan. Um, the main obstacle, the main thing which, which contributes to you not being able to hold your object of meditation is to not keep the same object of meditation while you're meditating for a long time. You should pick an object of meditation, whatever it is, your visualization of your root lama, meditation on emptiness, whatever you're going to do, uh, and keep that same object for a long time. 
It's through habituating yourself to the same object over and over and over again that you gain familiarity with the object and you're able to easily bring your mind back to the object. It's comfortable, it's relaxed, and, it's, and it becomes an automatic reflex. Oh yeah, I know what he looks like. I can remember that easily. When you at first try to visualize your root llama, it's very hard. You know, After however long of visualizing it, it becomes much easier. And it's much easier to call him back and to, uh, and to recollect him. Sal is signaling that it's almost break time, so we're going to not take a break yet. <laughs> but we're going to finish the five problems and, then, um, and their antidotes, and then we'll do the uh, nine resulting mental stages after the break. Okay. So that's the second, the second of the five standard obstacles which arise in meditation. The third... It's not on this transparency... Please say Jingu. Jingu. Jing means mental dullness. Gu means agitation. Dullness and agitation. Having dullness in your mind or agitation in your mind is the third of the obstacles which arise when you try to meditate. It can be coarse dullness or coarse agitation or it can be subtle dullness or subtle agitation. Okay? What's the difference between coarse dullness and subtle dullness? What's the difference between... Well, first of all, what's the difference between dullness and agitation? Dullness is when you start to fall asleep. It's pretty obvious. Agitation is when you are so wired that you can't stop thinking about other stuff. Your mind just goes off on all sorts of other... Tangents, okay? Um, dullness, I'm sorry, agitation is being hyper, dullness is being sluggish. Right? Then both of those have the flavor of coarse or subtle. Um, so what is coarse dullness as opposed to subtle dullness? You have to understand three terms to understand that. You have to understand fixation, clarity, and intensity. Fixation is simple. You fix your mind on something, you have fixation. Pretty straightforward. Clarity, it's kind of what it sounds like, but not quite. Clarity means how clear your mind is. It does not mean how clearly you visualize the object. Clarity refers to the state of your mind, not what you're visualizing. Okay? Say it again. Clarity refers to how clear your mind is. Is your mind bright? Is your mind alert? Is your mind awake? That's clarity. Okay? Is your mind clear? What is intensity? Intensity is a matter of degree. It's like somebody, you know, somebody looking at you in sort of a relaxed way, somebody kind of going like, <laughs> staring at you intensely. Okay? That's intensity. Intensity is the degree, the degree of clarity. Okay? So, what is coarse dullness as opposed to subtle dullness? With coarse dullness, you have fixation and you have clarity, but you have no intensity. You know what? Never mind, that was wrong. <laughs> you have fixation and you have no clarity. That's coarse dullness. So practically, practically speaking, if you have coarse dullness, you know, you, you know you're visualizing your llama. You start to visualize your llama and you know, you're kind of a little bit sleepy 
and you kind of have a sense that you're visualizing them, um, but your mind is just not very sharp and alert. Okay, you're having a hard time stay awake. You're having a hard time focusing at all. That's coarse dullness. Okay, subtle dullness is when you have fixation and clarity, but no intensity. So, one step better than coarse dullness. You have the same fixation. Um, you've added clarity. Your mind is fresh. Your mind is alert. Your mind is bright. Okay? But, you just don't have a real intense visualization. It's not like that visualization is just radiating, shining, and you know, shining bright in your mind. Okay? Like that. That's the difference between coarse and subtle dullness. And similarly with agitation, same thing. Okay? Mm, dullness is your biggest enemy as a meditator. Why? Because you'll be sitting in meditation thinking, I'm meditating, when in fact, your mind is in a state of either coarse or subtle dullness. You can spend years sitting in meditation thinking that you are refining your mind and focusing your mind when in fact you are training yourself to become stupid. Okay? And it's no joke because if you don't meditate properly, you will actually train yourself to dull your intellect and your mental faculties and it will happen. So dullness is a real enemy. You have to pay attention to your mind and you have to make sure that you're not just doing a zoned out, fuzzy, sluggish meditation. Because if you are, you're habituating your mind to be zoned out and sluggish and fuzzy. That's how the mind works, okay? I'm sorry, say again? Same principle between coarseness and... You know, you have... How will I say? Let's talk about it when we do the nine mental stages. We'll get into it then. How about that? Um, what was the question? Okay, same question. Okay. Um, so please say shishin. Shishin. Watchfulness. It's the antidote to jingbu, to dullness and agitation. You set a watchman in your mind. You set aside a part of your mind while you're meditating to check in and see what the rest of your mind is doing. You know, you essentially say, let me check up on myself and see if I fell asleep. You know, let me check up on myself and see if my mind is clear and bright and alert. You know, you don't do it all the time, otherwise you can't meditate. But, you know, every five minutes or periodically, you check in on yourself and you say, how am I doing meditating here? Okay, that's watchfulness. That's the antidote to dullness and agitation. So please say, Jingwa. Rakpa. Jingwa Rakpa. So again, uh, Jingwa is dullness. Rakpa is gross. And Jingwa Tramo. Please say Jingwa Tramo. Jingwa Tramo. Again, Jingwa dullness, Tramo subtle. We talked about it. So the fourth of the five problems of meditation is Dumijepa. Please say Dumijepa. Dumijepa. Do is at time. Mijepa is you don't do anything. Meaning, you don't take action when you should. With the last 
thing we talked about. You set the watchman. The watchman checked in on you and he said, oh, you're a little bit sleepy there. Then, if you don't do anything about it, that's this obstacle. <laughs> hmm? I didn't hear? What? This is the fourth obstacle. Yeah, yeah. Having dullness or agitation is the third obstacle, whether it be coarse or subtle. So why wouldn't you why wouldn't you uh, make a, why wouldn't you correct uh, this problem if you if you recognize that you've got dullness going on or you've got agitation going on why not correct it because it's hard. It means you have to sit there and struggle with yourself. It means you have to force your mind to do what it doesn't want to do. It means you have to force your mind to wake up when it wants to be sleepy. It means you have to force your mind to calm down when it wants to be hyper. Okay? That's this one. It means actively struggling with your mind when you catch it doing what it's not supposed to be doing. It's hard to do. Uh, the antidote... Well, there's no Tibetan on the antidote, so I won't give you that. Uh, the correction for dullness. Take this off. Uh, the correction for dullness is there are a lot of there are a lot of antidotes, and I'm not going to go into them all. But basically, you tighten up your mind. You know, you 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 tighten your focus. You know, if your mind is sluggish and lazy and fuzzy, you tighten it down and you focus it. And there are a lot of ways you do that. You can shift to a different object of meditation, which is more uplifting. Uh, you know, med- you know, you shift your, you know, your object of meditation on how lucky you are to have a fortunate human rebirth. You can shift your, ob- you know, your object of meditation to all the virtuous benefits of meditating. You can shift your object of meditation to meditating on some kind of bright light. Um, you know, the good qualities of a Buddha. Whatever is an uplifting thing for your mind. You know, you can think about that and shift your mind to those things. If that doesn't work, um, you can get up, stretch, splash some cold water on your face, go for a walk, look at the sky. Do whatever will uplift your mind and then go back and sit down and meditate again. So, like that. Uh, what's the correction for agitation? You've got to bring your mind down. Um, how do you do that? You know, think about a downer. You know, hell. You know, how you might be there. Um, <laughs> you know, things like that. <laughs> um, the other things, you can, you, can, uh, you can watch your breath. You know, you can try to shift your mind to neutral by doing, by doing um, breathing meditation for a while. That's a good place to start. Um, you got to loosen your mind up. If you're, if you're having agitation, your mind is too tight and you need to bring your mind down and loosen it up like that. Okay? Um, so, that's... Is that five? Mm, the fifth, okay. The fifth is... Hmm? What? This doesn't have to do with... This has nothing to do with that. Yes. No, that was four. So that was the I just described. What did I just describe? I forgot already. Actions to take to counter not doing anything. Wait a minute. What did I just tell you? I already forgot. So uh, problem number four is you don't make effort. Okay. So the correction to the fourth problem is you make effort by correcting for dullness or correcting for agitation. Okay? Like that. And then the fifth problem of meditation is you're in the zone, man. You're there. You're focused well. 
you got good single-pointed concentration going on. You check in and you say, well, let me fix this a little bit. And you blew it. <laughs> right? So that's the fifth obstacle in meditation is making a correction when none is necessary. You know, it's very hard to hit the zone to get into that spot where you have good single-pointed concentration. And there's a natural tendency to doubt that you're there and to think, well, there's probably something wrong with this. Let me tweak it a little bit. Let me try to tighten up a little bit. Let me try to loosen up a little bit. Let me try to improve it a little bit. You know, As opposed to saying, no, I'm in the right spot and I'm going to just stay here as long as I can. It's very hard to get your mind to be content with staying single-pointed. You know, There's some self-doubt that comes up like, I'm not quite doing this right. You know, It's like that. So it's, it's having some kind of confidence and some kind of um, sense that I'm just going to stay in this spot and I'm not supposed to be doing anything else because I got where I'm supposed to be. Like that. Okay? So that's, those are the uh, first four parts of all meditative practices, the first three parts um, with all of their subsets. No, not too bad. Antidote for number five. The antidote for number five is don't make a correction when you don't need to. <laughs> okay, so... Uh, take a break. After the break, we'll do the discussion groups. And in the discussion groups, please remember, it's just open discussion. Uh, don't read the homework questions and read the answers. The point is for people to be able to just talk and ask questions, broadly speaking. Okay? Yeah, we're going to go... Afterwards, we're going to go into the nine... After the discussion group, we're going to go into the nine stages of meditation. Okay?